I think the Republicans would be much better served admitting, stipulating, if that's a lawyer-like term we can use, stipulating that, yes, Trump did these things, but they're not impeachable. Instead, they're arguing that he didn't do anything that he obviously did. Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content following this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. Good morning, I'm Dan Spieler. What a week at the state and national level. And today we're following multiple situations in the world of politics, including this week's impeachment hearings. We'll break down what we heard and talk with Indiana lawmakers and talk about the impact for Vice President Pence as well, who was here in Indiana on Wednesday. We'll also talk later about some very big news at the State House. Speaker Brian Bosma announcing on Organization Day that he won't be running for re-election next year. That announcement happening Tuesday as thousands of teachers descended on the State House. Red for Ed Day bringing a huge gathering. But what will it mean moving forward? Kayla Sullivan has more from the State House. Kayla? Though some may attempt to open the state budget this year, Republicans I spoke to say teacher pay isn't likely to increase this session, though there are some ways lawmakers can help educators in 2020. More teaching, less testing, more teaching, less testing. Some teacher concerns are likely to be addressed in the legislature this year. The hold harmless uh, for teachers for this testing. I think will be an issue that will be taken up by the General Assembly this session. But Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch says raising teacher pay may have to wait at least until the next budget session. And the reason that's important is we want to have a long-term viable solution to the teacher pay issue. We don't want to just have a band-aid. Teachers we talk to say now is the time. I don't really care where they get the money, honestly. They need to put education first. And what does your sign say? My mom is a teacher. Jana Ferguson brought her six-year-old son to participate in this historic day. She wants him and everyone else to know it's more than just money. I get a little disheartened when I hear people say it's all about teacher pay and that I've heard people say we're using kids as shields, but I want people to understand that we got into this profession because we love kids and we want what is best for them. Jana and many others feel overworked and overregulated, especially after last year's 15-hour externship requirement. It's just another hoop we have to jump through. Democratic State Senator J.D. Ford says he's working on a bill to get rid of that hoop this year. I encourage them to watch the bill, track it, uh, contact their legislators. Lieutenant Governor Crouch says she hopes teachers stay involved too. She says days like Red for Ed truly influence policy. Absolutely. I think every person's voice makes a difference. Uh, so the fact that we have them here, they're engaged in the process, they're meeting with their legislators, they're letting their issues be known, I think that's an important part of the process. <laughs> State Senator J.D. Ford says he's hoping to file that externship repeal bill before January, but he wants some Republicans to jump on board before then. Reporting at the Indiana State House, I'm Kayla Sullivan. Back to you. Kayla, thanks. As we mentioned, it was a newsmaking week at the State House. Speaker Bosma announcing he won't be running for re-election next year. He was asked about that decision Tuesday on Organization Day. There were some people who discouraged me from doing this because I'm dealing power away from myself. I'm not here for power. Uh, I'm here to serve, and, and I mean that very sincerely, and come from a family that places a high premium on that service, was raised talking about it and my obligation to serve, uh, not necessarily an elected official or office, but in some fashion. So I'm okay with that. The reason I've done it this way is because it, it was somewhat 
I'll be, I'll be kind here. It was somewhat of a mess uh, when the way it was handled in the Senate. So we had a, not intentionally, it just worked out that way. So uh, we thought long and hard about exactly what would be best to, uh, to have an effective transition. Well, it was a, a surprise, frankly. None of us uh, knew this was going to happen. Um, uh, at some point, everyone's going to call it a day. And, um, you know, I think, um, you know, sometimes we look at retirements and things being the end. But for him, I'm sure it's a, a new beginning for him to go do something else and serve in a different, another capacity. What has it been like being his <laughs> counterpart? Well, um, you know, I, I've always found the speaker to be um, a, a, a quite an adversary. We've had our differences, certainly. Uh, he has tried to um, be, I think, over the years, a better communicator with the minority. Okay, a couple other headlines from the State House this week. State Rep. Mara Candelaria Reardon is running for Congress in the 1st District. She's been in the news a lot of late amidst the Curtis Hill controversy. A couple noteworthy policy proposals. Looks like there could be another push to raise the smoking age to 21. Lawmakers also talking about whether to take a closer look at the vaping epidemic. All right, now from the State House to the halls of Congress, where the House Intelligence Committee held more bombshell hearings this past week. And today, our Kayla Sullivan is getting reaction from Indiana lawmakers. Was there a quid pro quo? As I testified previously, with regard to the requested White House call and the White House meeting, the answer is yes. There is no question that Ambassador Sondland was proposing a transaction uh, to Ukrainian officials trading White House meetings for specific investigations. In my view, sir, that's appalling. Political expert Adam Rin says witnesses made what happened clear. President Trump used the power and authority of his office to try to incentivize uh, Ukraine to investigate his uh, chief political opponent, uh, former Vice President Joe Biden. But is that impeachable and worthy of the president's removal? Wren says that's up to Congress to decide. Republican Senator Mike Braun says he isn't convinced. He says these hearings are entirely political. Are you insinuating that some of these witnesses are lying when you say that this is entirely political? No, no, I'm saying that all the witnesses, I believe, are giving their opinion, their uh, interpretation. Senator Braun says he needs more concrete evidence. I look at questions like, do you think this is an impeachable offense? Uh, did the president actually say there was a quid pro quo? If there is further evidence that would come forward, either uh, exculpatory or you know, blaming the president with a closer connection. you got to be open to that. Rin says even if the president is impeached, it likely won't impact voters in 2020. His supporters will kind of wear this impeachment as a badge of honor, and his detractors will, um, you know, hold this over his head for the rest of his tenure. Ambassador Gordon Sondland testified this week he shared with Vice President Mike Pence his concerns about the delay in military aid to Ukraine. Rin says he isn't sure about how this impeachment inquiry will impact Pence. If he gets into an interview and sort of has to deal with, with tough questions from a reporter or a journalist, I'm really interested to see um, how this moves forward and how he's able to um, handle it and what that does to his position on the ticket. Vice President Pence here in Indy this past week. Meantime, President Trump spoke one-on-one -on -one this week with our Washington correspondent Anna Wernicke as the president fights back on impeachment. He's calling on Democrats to pass the USMCA and specifically calling out Speaker Nancy Pelosi. She's doing a horrible job as speaker. I mean, absolutely horrible. She's getting nothing done. She'll go down as the worst speaker in the, in the country's history. She, here we have this great deal. 
And you're going to find out. You, Mexico and Canada, they're going to eventually just leave. It just sits on her desk. Uh, it's a great agreement. She admitted it was a great agreement. Now she's saying, well, we'll renegotiate. She's just doing that because I don't even know if she has the votes. I don't know if she, she has the votes for that. But people are saying she needs the votes for impeachment. So she's going to use USMCA in order to get impeachment because she needs the votes because they have nothing on impeachment. It's a hoax. And All right, coming up this Sunday in Focus, we'll talk about South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg back on the debate stage after taking the lead in the polls in Iowa. And we'll talk with our panel about all the news from the State House this past week and House Speaker Brian Bosma's big announcement next. All right, let's bring our panel into the conversation now. Former state party chairman for the Indiana Democrats, Robin Winston. 2016 vice chair for the Indiana Trump campaign, Tony Samuel. Democratic strategist, Laura Beck. And former GOP lawmaker, Mike Murphy. So much to talk about this week. We're going to start at the State House. Mike, you served with Speaker Bosma in the General Assembly. What do you make of this news this week? Well, I think it was a good time for him. He's been there 34 years. As he will tell you, he accomplished all of his checklists. I think he has been the best speaker of the modern era, uh, much more professional in the process. He improved everything about how legislation is handled from the calendar to the way it moves through. And I think it's, it's you know, kudos to him. A lot of talk about uh, potentially State Rep Todd Houston as a potential replacement. How do things change at the State House moving forward after well, Speaker I think Boston? John Gregg might, you know, think that maybe, like, hard to believe that you think he wasn't professional I as serve a speaker. I serve John Gregg. There's nobody, funnier than, <laughs> there's nobody funnier than John Gregg and nobody I'd rather have a beer with, but he pales in comparison <laughs> I, to Going Bosma's to that district, this, let's just place. talk real quickly about that district. Um, I think what was interesting is that the district that uh, represents of Bosma, the speaker served in, um, has really changed in the last two years. It's gone 10 points from Republican to Democrat between 2016 and 2018. Um, speaker Bosma did do a very good job at keeping his caucus together, and I think whoever comes in is going to have a tough time doing that because they won't have the relationships and they may not have the standing that he had and had built up over time. So, yeah, we'll see who runs in that district as well. Tony, exactly. you also worked with Speaker Bosma at the State House. I did, I did, uh, and I'm grateful for that opportunity from late 2001 to late 07, almost six years. I was his communications director for him and for the caucus and a great experience. Like Mike said, uh, I agree with everything uh, that Mike pointed out. But also, Speaker Bosma was a great leader uh, for the state, but also for that caucus, as, as you've said, and a visionary. And he always had a bold agenda, which carried the state from, uh, uh, from the Democrat leadership uh, in the governor's office to, to Republican leadership that got a lot done. Uh, his agenda was always called the boldest agenda uh, of a legislative leader. And he did things like create the Indiana Economic Development Corporation, government efficiency, a, a, a lot that he doesn't get enough credit for, but he was a great visionary as a leader, and he's a great guy, 34 years. Uh, speculation uh, has been there um, that, that uh, you know, maybe it was time for him to retire. Like Mike said, he's checked off all the boxes. He faced uh, a lot of scrutiny last year, did ha face an ethics complaint that was eventually dismissed. Do uh, you think that factors into a decision like this at all? Well, he only won Marion County by 17 votes. Um, he was saved by Fortville and places in, in other parts of, of his district. Uh, so that politically weighs on you. And it probably, if you're bringing it up a year in advance, it's going to be brought up. It would have been brought up again. The real test is what does he do now as kind of this resident speaker? Does he really push the agenda that 15,000 people came to see, which also he announced on that same day? 
And if, if that's the case, then that'll make a legacy that backs up what Mike said. Well, let's talk about that. Red for Ed, uh, what about the impact uh, of the teachers there, thousands <laughs> of them, uh, this past week at the State House? Uh, does this now become a, a political movement in 2020? We did see Democrats this week putting out a statement trying to seize on the fact that Governor Holcomb was out of town when this happened at a fundraiser for the Republican Governors Association. State Party Chair John Zodi said, I'm certain Governor Holcomb heard Indiana educators loud and clear. The governor may be able to duck educators today, but can't outrun them at the ballot box next November. Uh, what's your response well, to that? And what First of all, John Zodi's a nice guy. He's hilariously entertaining. But the fact is the RGA was scheduled nearly a year in advance, and Holcomb would have been there regardless, you know, regardless yeah. or absent some major natural disaster or something. Um, the, you know, the, the fact is that the transition is going to be smooth. We are 99% sure it's um, going to be Todd Houston. I talked to legislators uh, just two nights ago, and they looked at me and said, we all know who it's going to be. We're all behind Todd Houston. And so, so what, what, what Bosma has set up is an apprenticeship over the next four or five months and so he will continue to have his influence, not only next session, but frankly, because of the person he chose beyond that as well. But on this education issue, yeah, 2020 I love, I love how, you know, you can, like, shift <laughs> from, you know, stop heard. talking Just, about education because it's not good for I your mean, you party. And then immediately John Zodi, into John, John Zodi just got me going, I uh, guess. I guess know? so. I mean, I, let, let's talk about education. Um, I do think that um, this is going to be an issue in 2020. I think anybody who has kids in school, um, can attest that state education <clears throat> policy in Indiana is completely dysfunctional. Um, the fact that the teachers and their supporters, their family members all came to rally, they're not coming from Democrat districts. They're well, coming from Republican districts all over the state. And I think if the Republicans sleep on this, they're going to miss it. It became a big issue, no doubt, in the Kentucky governor's race. There were yeah. a lot of other issues Absolutely. there, though. Uh, let's also talk about the impeachment here. It's pretty explosive testimony this week from Gordon Sundland, who said there was a quid pro quo and also said that he told Vice President Pence about his concerns, though the VP's office pushed back on that assertion. What about everything we saw this weekend and potentially the vice president's role? In well, when we headlines? first talked about this and Tony was on the show, we said it was early on. Let's see what happens. Now we're seeing what's happening. These are uh, Trump appointees sitting in front of a panel saying there absolutely was a quid pro quo. Six people have gone to jail. Two dudes tried to escape and, and not come back, and they got caught at the airport. I mean, it, it, come on. It doesn't take much to put the linkage together to see what's going on here, Dan. Tony, I know you're chomping at the bit. <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> Most of these diplomats, bureaucrats that testified were not Trump appointees. They were Obama appointees. I liken it to any organization, any business. You, you get somebody new in there that you don't like, you don't like their style, and then you're ready to pounce and twist things and turn things and exaggerate things. And that's what's happened here. None of them. Gordon Sundland presumed this, presumed that. It's all hearsay. There are no facts pointed at any crime. And the tables are going to turn because of uh, Michael Horowitz, the inspector general's uh, uh, investigation is finally concluding and the, you'll see the tables turn on what started all this and it'll show that Trump was concerned about 2016 abuse uh, corruption by Ukraine not 2020. We're going to talk more about that on our podcast. Also have to mention a number of uh, Democratic mayors from Indiana in the news this week for very different reasons. Of course Mayor Pete Buttigieg taking part in the latest Democratic debate facing more scrutiny now too as the new frontrunner in Iowa. Meantime in Indianapolis Democratic Mayor Joe Hogsett threatening to veto a proposal from counselors in his own party to give themselves a pay raise. In the new year, Democrats will hold a veto-proof 
20 to 5 majority. Meantime, the mayor of Muncie now facing charges arrested this week on public corruption charges, part of an FBI investigation dating back to 2014. Also this week, an arrest warrant issued for the mayor of Michigan City, who's been charged with several counts of intimidation and one count of official misconduct. Don't have a lot of time left. We'll talk about it more on our podcast. Your reaction to some of that. This Both week. indicted mayors, Democrats, surprise, surprise. Hogsett is almost Republican. He's so cheap, and I think he's smart to veto any kind of a pay raise uh, ordinance. And uh, as far as Buttigieg, God bless him. He seems to be doing well right now. He really summed that up quickly. <laughs> yeah, response? I'm just sorry. I, I, I can't even respond at this point. I mean, I'm not surprised that Mayor Pete is doing well in Iowa. Um, I think his Midwestern approach translates well there. We're going to talk more about Mayor Pete coming up next and have a recap of this week's Democratic presidential debate. Stick around. We'll be right back after this. perspective of Washington, what goes on in my city might look small, but frankly, where we live, the infighting on Capitol Hill is what looks small. The usual way of doing business in Washington is what looks small. And I believe we need to send somebody in who has a different kind of experience. One of the key moments from Mayor Pete Buttigieg at Wednesday night's presidential debate with the South Bend mayor now in the spotlights. And I'm joined now by Adam Wren, contributing editor for Politico and Indianapolis Monthly, as we discuss this Democratic debate. The new frontrunner in Iowa, it seems, uh, certainly drawing a lot of scrutiny. Some incoming from his opponents, but not as much as you thought he might get. Yeah, I expected him to sort of be center stage uh, for um, rockets most of the night, but we didn't really see that. Towards the end, we saw a little uh, scuffle between him and, and Tulsi Gabbard. That's right, it too. That's right. Um, he seemed to sort of the consensus seems to be that he effectively pushed back on the issue about invading Mexico, uh, which he said was taken out of context. Uh, but largely, he come he comes out of this debate. I think the consensus is unscathed. Is this the kind of debate that that maybe doesn't move the needle much, overshadowed very much by the impeachment hearings, a topic that the candidates also addressed at the debate? Yeah, if you look at the impeachment hearings um, earlier this week, they sort of sandwiched the debate to where the debate was almost sort of like a, a, a halftime show or a post-show, post, post uh, a rap show. Um, so I, I don't know that a lot of people really uh, absorbed sort of the, the net gain one way or the other from this debate. What did you make of how the candidates handled that question uh, about the impeachment hearings and about all the news we've seen this week? It seems like a lot of them sort of expected that to be one of the first things to come up. Uh, you looked at Mayor Buttigieg. He sort of had his opening statement uh, pivoted to after his impeachment answer. Uh, but I think by and large, you haven't seen a lot of movement from the Democratic candidates on impeachment over the last month or so. I think they've been pretty stable on that issue. Uh, who else uh, may stand to gain some ground in the polls coming out of uh, Wednesday night's debate? I think fellow Midwesterner Senator Amy Klobuchar has continued to uh, prosecute her case well. Um, she is someone who, if for some reason, uh, support falls away from Mayor Buttigieg. She is there as sort of a moderate to pick up um, a lot of or that perhaps support. if it falls away from Joe Biden, too. That, that's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, let's look at some of the polling here from Iowa that we'd mentioned. Uh, the latest poll from the Des Moines Register and CNN now showing the mayor ahead by, by nine points in this poll as we take a closer look at those 
uh, numbers. But there's also a new poll from New Hampshire that had the mayor ahead, though that was a much smaller sample size, right? Yeah. I mean, if you look at these polls, they're fairly remarkable. I mean, if you would have told anybody this uh, this time last November, people in Indiana or nationally would have been really uh, suspect about these polls. But as you travel along with Mayor Pete on the campaign trail and you see the reaction that he's getting from independents and, and red counties in Iowa and even independent leading New Hampshire, uh, it, it's not a surprise to see numbers like this. He seems to be really resonating in white older states like Iowa and New Hampshire. Now, when you go to uh, more brown and black states like South Carolina and Nevada, uh, you wonder what he's going to be able to do to improve his support there. And, and in fact, he ran into some controversy in South Carolina recently as well in terms of announcing support uh, from some supporters who said actually that, that they hadn't uh, endorsed him yet. That's right. And here at home on Friday, we saw Cordelia Lewis Brooks, the prominent Indiana Democrat, the first superdelegate to endorse Barack Obama here in Indiana in 2008, uh, criticize uh, Buttigieg for not immediately responding to the greater Indianapolis uh, NAACP's invitation to speak at their October event, uh, kind of raising questions about whether he can get more black endorsements here in his own home state. Adam Wren, thanks so much for being with us. We appreciate it. We'll be back after this to wrap things up. All right, time for this week's winners and losers. Robin. 15,000 teachers that showed up and, and made a claim on their right to get more pay. Losers, I'd say anybody that thinks they can back up Donald Trump on the truth meter. Don? Just two winners. Speaker Bosma for everything that was said here and for his great years of service. But also uh, State Representative Woody Burton, who represented Retiring Johnson well. County yeah. for 35 years, did a great job. He's a great guy. Also a winner. Laura? Uh, my winner is uh, Fiona Hill. I thought she was an excellent uh, witness and so professional. It made me proud of our foreign service. My loser is Governor Holcomb. Um, he could have easily taken a couple of hours to meet with some teachers, do a photo op, um, and instead he chose to not be here. Mike, last word. My winners have to be Governor Holcomb for millions of dollars in uh, broadband grants that he uh, issued last Friday. And he, actually, he was able to do it from Florida. Amazing. And the other winner has to be Todd Houston, the right age, the right time. He's going to lead us into the new era. See what happens next. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week on In Focus. Hanging out after the show, more to talk about here with Robin Winston, Tony Samuel, Laura Beck, Mike Murphy. So many headlines this yep. week. We, I think we only got to scratch the surface, so we'll talk about it. Uh, we'll talk about it all a little bit more here. Uh, and let's let's begin um, with with the impeachment hearings. I didn't get down to Laura and Mike uh, as much on that. We were talking to Robin and Tony. Yeah. Your thoughts on what we saw this week? I I probably watched and listened to more than I would care to admit that I did, um, but. It, there's some really, they were lengthy hearings. They were very lengthy hearings. Lengthy opening statements and closing statements. Absolutely, right. yeah. And, and 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 there were several media outlets that had you know wall to wall coverage. But um, there's such powerful evidence that is being presented. And what really stood out to me after listening to the evidence and keeping an open open mind about it essentially um, is that it is further proof that the Republicans are willing to tie their fate to Donald Trump. Um, I think if anyone in Barack Obama's administration had done any of the things that these folks are accused of, um, he would have been impeached 
a long time before. I think if anyone had done this during Clinton's time, and he would, the impeachment process would have would have uh, been there. And you don't have to make a joke, so. but um, <laughs> I, I really think that it's it's literally like there's just this blinder to the facts. So Will Hurd this week, who's on the committee, said he did not see evidence of bribery or extortion. I might put you somewhere on the political spectrum close to Will Hurd, Mike. Well, uh, I would thoughts? say I think I'm willing to give Trump credit for the things he done does well, like the Supreme Court justices and certain other things, but. Here, I, th I will agree with Laura on one thing, and that is the, re the congressman and the Republican side, like, you know, not, you can't say the same thing about every single one, but generally speaking, mm -hmm. have lost their spines. I mean, it's like when Teddy Roosevelt describes somebody as having the back backbone of a chocolate eclair. I mean, <laughs> it's really what has happened. And I'll give you one example. Congressman Stewart out of Utah in, yeah. 19, in 2016 referred to Trump as our Mussolini. And he said, you have to remember, he's our president, not our king. And this week, he bent over backwards to defend the president. And it was so obvious the flip that had taken place over the last, uh, the last three years. Having said that, I think the Republicans would be much better served admitting, stipulating, if that's a lawyer-like term we can use, stipulating that, yes, Trump did these things, but they're not impeachable. Instead, they're arguing that he didn't do anything that he obviously did. Let's let's have the argument on the impeachability, and I think the Republicans can probably win that. Do you agree with that strategy tactic? Should uh, Republicans say, look, maybe I don't like some of this, but it's not impeachable? Or, or I actually don't agree with anything that's yeah. been said by my colleagues here. There is no evidence, uh, and that's you know when when you, when we say hearsay and conjecture, that's not evidence. If somebody heard somebody that somebody else told somebody else. Somebody heard something on the phone call, but they weren't listening to the, 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 the person that uh, is in front of them. They're listening to the other the f person that's on the other side of the line. Uh, that's not evidence. None Sondland, of this Sondland is had evidence. direct contact with the president. Sondland had contact, but he said he presumed this was a quid pro quo. He, he, he doesn't have any facts. <clears throat> Nothing. And, and the president told him, this is not a quid pro quo. I don't want this to be thought of as a quid pro quo. The, the president has a different way of doing things. We knew that. That's why we elected him. He wanted to shake things up, do things differently. I'll give you an example. He met with Kim Jong-un. The diplomats all told him not to. The media was critical of him. It's, I don't know if it's going to work in the end, but it's working to a certain extent. He's not firing missiles right now. They're closer to peace negotiations than ever. Clinton didn't do that. Bush didn't do that. Obama didn't do that. That's his style. It, Doing so things the, differently. So you, the style. I'm sorry, not to interrupt you, no, but so ahead. the style of essentially. I'll yield my time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to interrupt back. him. I'm just going to interrupt him. So basically, though, and I'll, I'm going to let Robin talk because I know he wants to Thank talk about this. Thank you very much. Appreciate um, it, Senator. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, essentially, the core issue here, and the president was well aware of this based on the evidence and the and the testimony this past week, is that they were with. He was in a snit about the Ukraine because. Rudy Giuliani has cooked up all of these theories about it. And so oh he has. He absolutely has. And so the funny part about it is that the focus of this whole entire discussion is that he was wanted to withhold aid to a country fighting Russia so he could dig up dirt on the Bidens. And that is just inherently he's, wrong. He's given it's military given military aid. Yeah, once it, million dollars. Once he it sold came them, out. He sold them the anti-tank sure. buster missiles. Obama never did. Obama sent them blankets and things like that. Um, he's been much more uh, supportive of Ukraine and their fight with Russia. He's been the most um, opposed to Russian aggression 
than any president we've ever seen. It's easy to twist this. I get it. I mean, half the country, maybe not half the country, but at least the Democrats and the media are falling into that false narrative. So I understand that it's it's hard, it's easy, I should say, to twist this. But the tables are turning, like I said earlier. The numbers are showing it. President Trump's uh, approval went from a 43 to 48 uh, in a month, and the impeachment approval, or I'd say disapproval for impeachment, has Some increased. Some of those numbers have independence. moved with independence. Yeah, yeah. I, independence I, are switching just like uh, the moderate uh, Republican congressman will hurt. I now recognize the former. Thank you very much. I appreciate that, Mr. Chairman. I'm just going to let Robin talk the rest of the time. No, that's okay. Look at my I don't understand feet. your party anymore, Tony. I mean, the Russians are fighting the Ukrainians, and we're not doing anything to help them. I just it, said we were. No, we sent them javelins, but we didn't put any boots on the ground. We didn't make any buffer. Well, Obama, it's, wait, let me finish, please. I just now got a chance take, to speak. So, I'm sorry. Go okay, ahead. so now I want. Now they're a, a front door to Western Europe. Not putting up any firewall there. We had decorated combat veterans testifying before the committee, and we criticized them. In your party, now come on, right, that yeah. was a third rail to go after veterans or talk about anybody that was wearing the uniform. You, you had members of your party try to discredit a guy wearing, that had served in Afghanistan and Iraq. That's number two. Right in the middle, forget the godfather, right in the middle with a woman's testifying, he tweets. They put it up during a committee hearing, and you know, I mean, if that's not jury tampering, I mean, not witness tampering, witness yeah. tampering witness I don't intimidation. know. Yeah. I mean, she's talking, and the president of the United States, not Joe Joe, some dude out here, the president of the United States tweets that uh, about a witness while she's Somebody testifying. Yeah. I think it was Brett Baer on Fox. Yeah. Uh, potentially, that could be wrapped into an article. Oh, sure, but and then and the Republicans <laughs> trot out as their prime attacker a guy who still hasn't answered the questions about why he didn't. Report abuse of Ohio State, State wrestlers, and their yeah. number their number two attacker should be um, Giuliani should have been put in a memory care unit years ago. <laughs> There's so can much I, to can, can, I, I, say can I respond to a little bit. <laughs> First of all, uh, when when you say you can't recognize the Republican Party, what about the Obama administration who let Russia walk in and and take over Crimea? That that was. Obama. That was the Democrat Party. Patriot that's where this started. No, that's not, where this yeah, started. No, this okay. is no. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Okay. And, and, yeah. and then Obama wouldn't give any military. It happened. Yeah, in his second term. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 it's Trump that's helping the Ukrainians, okay. but there was corruption there. So naturally, he doesn't want to give aid, and he also is is critical of other European countries not giving the aid that they he thinks they should, unless he knows that the corruption is not going to continue. There were a lot of Republican voices, including Indiana Senator Dan Coats, who said. We need to be tougher on Russia and help Ukraine. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. And it doesn't really matter now. Russia has won. I yeah. mean, essentially, Ukraine is another satellite state, mm -hmm. and they're going to go after Belarus and maybe after Poland next. And no, maybe no, the, Crimea maybe, is maybe a satellite maybe the Baltic state. Ukraine is well. not Can a satellite state. Can I just say, though, state. that I think um, Gordon Sondland should really have his own reality show after this. I mean, he was the most hey, however entertaining. You, you these hearings, he, however he, he you thought it, I mean, he put the oomph in that, in that hearing. <laughs> I mean, whoa. I come back to the political, OK? Kentucky had an incumbent Republican governor lost. The president was in Lexington the night before. He beseeched the audience to vote for his candidate because it was a referendum on him, and he lost the next day. Then in Louisiana, not exactly a flaming liberal state, yeah, we ran a very extremely moderate Democrat, and we won again. <laughs> Mississippi should never even been, remember Trump won Kentucky by 30 points. Mississippi shouldn't even been on the radar screen. Now, all of a sudden, it was tight with Jim Hood running for governor. 
These are telltale signs that people are getting ready Another for 20. Another one I would suggest is, <clears throat> frankly, I have to admit, is Virginia. They took back the Virginia legislature, yeah. both houses. Let's They're, talk so. about Kentucky. I mean, we talked about <laughs> education and the potential impact for 2020. There was a big pension issue that was really the, the crux of that in Kentucky. Sure. But do, do you see that same dynamic at the Indiana level when you talk about 15,000 teachers, when you talk about the no, dynamic no. right now? The, the state you know, first of all, Governor Holcomb has been supportive and endorsed the idea that teachers taking the day off and coming down here. But he didn't criticize them. He for didn't it. criticize yeah. them. And and the teachers, they have the right to come down and, and submit their petitions just like any group does. But it's 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 was made for good TV, but it's it's misdirected because only the school boards can give raises. The governor can shower hundreds of millions of dollars on the school districts. The school boards still have to vote for those raises, and Robin should know that because he he has a lot of clients who are school boards. Well, and you watch you watch that Kentucky race closely. We're yeah. involved in it. Mm -hmm. what, what, any parallels at all? Sure. Uh, think in 1996, I was on the on the 95, standing outside with Frank O'Bannon when there were 25,000 union people between the two big buildings downtown. What would happen in 96? We go on to win governor. They mobilized and did that. In communities after communities, and keep in mind what I'm talking about, I'm not talking about Gary, Chicago, and Hammond. I'm talking about Zionsville, Carmel, Hamilton, Southeastern, Noblesville. People are voting for more taxes to support public education. These are your bellwether counties and, and areas that are affecting you. This is a big issue. So don't underestimate that. The guy in Kentucky locked the door and said teachers couldn't come in, then made a flippant remark that some child somewhere was being molested that very minute because teachers were in Frankfurt. Uh, and, and, and it was, yeah, yeah. To, to, my, to my initial point, a far different dynamic. It seems far different, and, that, and that's what you asked, and, and you're right. Uh, Governor Holcomb's doing a great job. He's very popular. His approval ratings are high. He's got a lot of money that he's raising. He's doing a lot of good things across the board. Uh, like Mike pointed out, the broadband, broadband grants were the latest. Bevan ticked off everybody, right? Not just teachers. Teachers were a big part of it, but everybody from the start practically. He was a, a, a business guy. He didn't understand how to run politics. Trump does. There's a big difference there. Um, but even though Trump has his own style, um, Bevan was down by a whole lot, 20-some, 30-some points. Trump's, Trump's uh, assistance there at the end got it close. And that's what we see. Trump's not on the ticket. 2018, he wasn't on the ticket. 2019, he's not on the ticket. He's <laughs> well, yes. on the ticket but in 2020. Puts, but, but and the there's going to be a big difference. The problem with Trump is he puts himself on the ticket. In sure. one county alone, in Breathitt County, Kentucky, Trump won Breathitt County, which is southeast of Lexington, roughly, um, towards eastern Kentucky. He won Breathitt County by 43 points in 2016, and the year buddy won Breathitt County by two points, which yeah, is a 45-point swing. <laughs> now, Bevan... Frankly, is an ass. Was an ass. Is Whoa. an ass. And and he's channeling his inner Gordon. So that's three letter. And and that could mean a donkey as well. <laughs> and and if you look at the other statewide races in Kentucky, Attorney General, Secretary of State, both All won by Republicans. Republicans. Yeah. One of those hadn't been won since I think World War II, right? Yeah. And so it was clearly one man 
nobody liked, the Republicans didn't like, and they weren't even willing to defend him, and Trump tried and failed. A Republican governor has never been re-elected in Kentucky, I believe? That's right. Well, but that's a little... It's been a long time. Let's be careful with that, because we didn't start allowing governors to be re-elected until 1990, until 1999. Okay. That's exactly right. So that's a fairly recent... Yeah. But if we come back to Indiana and talking about the, the issue with the teachers, um, what I thought was really interesting in just terms of a sort of a overall anecdotal social media analysis I did is the people who were, I saw, who were at the state house were people I know who were who are Republicans and who identify as Republicans. And when you think about rural Indiana, and, okay, don't make that face. I just saw red shirts. Know. I didn't you see. Don't, and you I don't, don't know I'm not all sure the you folks. Do too yeah, but, go ahead. but I mean, I'm, I, the people I there were, I saw a lot of Republicans there. Um, I also think when you talk, when we get outside of Indianapolis and we look in some of the more rural communities, these school districts are some of the largest employers, and. That is an issue that people are really faced with because the schools really are the center in some of these communities of that community. And so you're seeing that, you're seeing that impact there. And I, I mean, I know you love to tell us how popular Eric Holcomb is and how great he is. He's really good I at, think you're the only two Democrats I've seen that don't like him. He's the, right? he's, I didn't say I didn't like him. I didn't say I didn't like him. I didn't say well, I didn't say I didn't like him. For those watching, I didn't say I didn't like him. But I think that, um, I, I think that one of the things he's really good at is he's really good at kind of bending with the wind and going with whatever direction he needs to go with. I think that he's very skilled with that. I think he's I very do, good. At, but right. I do, don't interrupt no, me. No, I do think he was, I do think it was a very, no, you're not. I do think it was a very strategic strategic error on his part not to be in Indianapolis. He was at a fundraiser, so he probably either flew on, you know, some casino magnet's private plane to the fundraiser, and he could have wow. hopped on a plane and come back for two to three hours um, to have a couple photo ops. He was I don't also, think that water he, he hurt him at all. He could have used that broadband and come back and just done right. a, a video right there and said something about right it, too. In. When, yeah. Yeah. I was also just, named no, that's, that's what Tom Krukowski would do. When we've laid education on the line, though, remember this one, because we did a campaign. People laughed at her. They didn't think Linda Sue Rich was going to win. I was going to say Glenda Rich she is a won great in 12, example. And, that, yeah. and, that was, and I was in, our headquarters was in our building. These women pulled up from Hamilton County. I was like, what's going on here? Yeah. They were all Republicans exactly. going upstairs to help her. So, yeah. don't, but so let's Laura's get, right about let's that. Let's go yeah, back to the schools for a second. All politics is local. We all know that, right? Yep. And if you look at the record, and Robin's really the expert here in the room on this, referenda are won and lost on local issues, local personalities. And you're always going to get a mixed bag, right? IPS won big earlier in the year. Center Grove lost fairly big. That's I think right. Zionsville may have won. Carmel mm -hmm. won. Yeah. Carmel won. So Carmel you get, won. it's all a mixed bag. It's, you get very, it's very dangerous to start generalizing about That's school true. referenda. That's true. All right, we talked about teachers. Let's talk about the mayors we mentioned on the program. Uh, four different mayors in the news for very different reasons. Mayor Pete in the Democratic debate on the national stage, drawing more scrutiny. Um, he's in the lead in Iowa, but drawing scrutiny in places like South Carolina, still struggling uh, with the minority voters. Uh, and then you've got the Indianapolis, the council situation, Mayor Hogsett threatening a veto, and two mayors uh, in a lot of trouble for public corruption charges in Muncie and in Michigan City. Uh, Lot to unpack there. <laughs> yeah. Which, let's take the easier road. Joe Hogsett won overwhelming. That was great. But now he, faces, now he faces this situation. Council pay raises. He's threatening to veto. It could be uh, something that gets overridden by the council. It could be. I don't, but I think it's this council that votes on it, right? I think the, the present council votes on it. So it'll be interesting to see how this goes. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they get that threshold. 
I'll take the Buttigieg part of it. <laughs> I guess it's a choose-your-own-adventure on the Bears here. Um, you know, he, he's, he's doing well for himself. Um, part of that is uh, even though Biden continues to gaff and, and fumble and bumble his way through, I think no one else is catching on. And so Biden's numbers remain, you know, uh, solidly in, in front. But yeah, particularly in, South Carolina, South Carolina, Carolina Muslim, maybe not Iowa. Buttigieg is doing well in Iowa. Uh, you saw at the debate, although I didn't, um, but I heard, uh, <laughs> you know, I heard it was boring. You didn't I heard watch nobody watched. I, I, uh, <laughs> but I did also hear that, that they started going at each other a little bit, laid off of Buttigieg, but I think that'll come if he stays in front that'll come as well. Buttigieg but, didn't take as much heat as no, you he might didn't. have expected. I, I, think, I think there's two, a connection you can make here. I don't think I'm stretching too far. So Buttigieg has a sudden rise in the polls in Iowa and New Hampshire. Concurrently with Obama's speech last week chastising the Democratic candidates that you guys are getting way too far out there. If you want to win you have to be, you can't go way beyond the people and you can't just try to outdo yourself on what's the craziest idea I can mm -hmm. come up with that costs the most. So who are the candidates who, who, who tend to move a little more center than, than um, Warren and Sanders, for example? And those tend to be Biden and Buttigieg at this point, at least. Yeah. But Buttigieg, because of his approach, uh, his delivery, not because of where he stands on the issues. He's just as liberal, uh, just as far left. I think um, abortion is a great example. Not only that, but you will see him start to get attacked because he doesn't have the experience. And I think Joe Biden started to point that out. He doesn't have the experience. He's a two-term mayor, right, uh, of a small Indiana city. Um, he hasn't accomplished a lot. Trump, on the other hand, he, he wasn't a politician, <laughs> but look what he accomplished over the years with his business. And, Sorry, and, I shouldn't laugh. Well, you're going to laugh, but it's true. That's why he's I don't president. think, but I mean, again, I'm not, I'm not for Buttigieg. I'm not for Trump either, but Buttigieg that I know of is not declared bankruptcy four times, has not surrounded himself with a passel of, of people who end up getting indicted. Um, I think there's some contrast that both parties can draw against mm -hmm. each other. I'm not, I'm not for either one of them right now. Frankly. I think Mike, though, brings up a good point. And, and there, is a, there is a hunger in the Democratic Party for someone who is more on that moderate line. Um, because I think we learned, especially with Hillary Clinton, that you can't just count on the coasts um, to put you over the top. You've got to have more support throughout the country. And I think the Midwest often feels like a forgotten place um, because so many of these folks are speaking to the coast and not necessarily to the center of the country. So that is a welcome, um, a, a welcome uh, admonishment to the, to the party and, and to party faithful that if you want to beat this guy, you really have to, you, you really, can't be all out there. The country's not ready for that right Buddha now. Judge has yet to earn a lot of very many endorsements here in the state of Indiana. In fact, just this past week, there's a South Bend councilman who granted, I believe, ran against yeah. him in the primary, right, who came out mm -hmm. and endorsed Biden on Friday. I, I guess I'm not surprised by that. Um, and, and here's why. Because South Bend is, and you're from South Bend, yep. South Bend is kind of a unique region unto its own. And a lot of folks from South Bend aren't necessarily, it's in a totally different media market. It's way more oriented toward the northern part of the state and toward Michigan. Um, I worked for a it's first lady Chicago, from, I worked for a first lady from Chicago, or not from Chicago, I'm sorry, from right. South Bend. And so to, South Bend does not necessarily translate 
in some of the southern parts of the state and even in part it's, of the center part of the state. It's, it's just a it's it's a really unique community and perhaps because of Notre Dame. Well, that's it's one changing. Of the why. Well, the only thing that saves South Bend is Notre Dame. Otherwise, it would probably yeah. roll, blow up and dry up and blow away. But when you take a look at <laughs> South Bend, it's true. You should have seen Robert's face. It's true. Wow, you're the South Bender. Well, yeah. I'm the South Bender. Right. Right? Sure they have lost a third of their population since the 1960s. And I will say that I've said this on national uh, interviews that Buttigieg has done more than any mayor in the past 60 years, Republican or Democrat, to try to turn that around. And he's making some progress, maybe not enough.